0: Oh, God, it's the truth of who you are. Your name is mercy. And when we could not reach you, mercy came a to into us. Holy Father, we, we are not worthy of that mercy. but Mercy has been running at us all morning in this worship. It has not let us go. And now, with mercy here, show us, teach us, How mercy can run through us, too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There is an invariable law of human nature that if we choose to live by it, if we choose to direct our... Lives by it. It will revolutionize every relationship that we have. One law. Human nature. Now that I have my carpenter's apron nicely in place. This is from my friend, uh, Garen Dent's hardware store in town. Village Hardware. Do it best. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I need to tell you, now that i got this on, a handyman I am not. You can ask my wife, you can ask my kids, everybody will tell you. I have a few tools, a few tools in my garage, so I brought a tool today. I want to get that tool and get it right up here. Where? Oh, it's already here. How'd you do that? I have these. Uh, this tool hangs in my garage. Speaking of my garage, by the way, i got a deal for you today. We have been collecting stuff since history began and so, no, no, seriously, uh, if you will make a donation to the Pioneer Memorial Church, I'll give you sight on seeing everything in that garage. You don't, don't talk to my wife about it, just you come straight to me and we'll work that out. All right, so this is one of the tools along with my carpenter apron here. And this is a board, just a nice little board from the garage as well. All right. No, you do not I told you, I'm not a handyman. I just... What do I do with this thing now? All right. Okay. So, you know how to use these saws? This is an old-fashioned saw. This is the way they used to do it. You know, you got these circular saws now. But uh, you go like this. Okay, I want to show you something. Is it cold outside or something? Is this... <laughs> I get it. Because, you know, with a saw, if you have wood and you have a saw, let me tell you, you can make, you can make stuff. Now, I am not going to uh, go ahead and do this whole board. You've got to just trust me and know that I really could have finished it, all right? <laughs> but I want to show you this. I want to show you something here. You see this stuff here? You see this? Do you know... What they call this sawdust. You are a handy person, too. This is sawdust. Now, look, look. This this is a university, so it's quiz time. Question. Which would you rather have stuck in your eye? Huh? Which would you rather have stuck in your eye? Just one little piece of this. All right. That's a choice. Quiz. It's multiple choice. This or or. Would you rather have this sham into your eye? What would you rather have, huh? Once upon a time, there was a carpenter named Jesus. And he said, that is a no-brainer. I want you to notice how Jesus puts it. Sermon on the Mount. Open your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 7. In our continuing series, Mercy Came a-Running. This is part three. Remember now, we're looking for a powerful law about human nature that can revolutionize the way you live. So let's find out. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. I'm in the New King James Version. If you didn't bring a Bible, just reach right into that pew and grab the pew Bible. Page number in the pew Bible, 653. Page 653. And by the way, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, these words better be in red or you take that Bible back because this is solid, solid Jesus. All right. Matthew chapter seven, Sermon on the Mount, verse one, judge not. That you be not judged for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why? Verse 3. Why do you look at that speck? Now, there it is. That's sawdust. All right? One little piece of sawdust. Why do you look at that sawdust in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Verse 4. Or how can you say to your sister, let me remove the speck from your eye. And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Verse 5. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Did you did you see what the divine carpenter has just revealed in this little red letter box that he has constructed for us? Jesus says Jesus says, "Hey guys, come here, come here." Come here. I want to tell you something. Followers of mine, I want to tell you something. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. About human nature. Now, it's not going to be real comfortable, but if you get this secret, every relationship you have will be revolutionized. And I don't know about you, but I would love to have every relationship that I enjoy revolutionized. Wouldn't you? So I want you to write it down. Pull out your study guide, please. In your worship bulletin this morning, there should be a study guide in there. You were coming in out of the blizzard, and you, you, you had the gloves on, and so you didn't get a worship bowl, And that's okay. Our ushers are going to make sure right now that you have the same study guide. Hold your hand up. We'll get that to you. Those of you watching on television right now, let me put our website on the screen for you. There it is on your television screen. www.pmchurch.tv Go to that website. Our, our still very new series, Mercy Came A-Running. Click onto that series. And this will be part three, solid gold. All right. You see right there beside solid gold, the word study guide. You click that study guide word and you will have on your screen the very same one that we're going to fill in right now. All right. We got to cut to the chase. Let's do it. Fill in that very top sentence. What you here come now, watch out what you criticize in others is invariably true about you. Eugene Peterson, in his masterful uh, rendition of the Bible, called The Message. Here's how Eugene Peterson puts uh, these first two verses in Matthew 7. In fact, you will need to fill this in. Peterson has Jesus saying, don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Don't criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical, write it down, that critical spirit has a way of boomeranging As we're about to see. But not before we admit. Okay, we got to do this. We must admit. These are hard words for an academic community like ours. Judge not that you be not judged. What's that supposed to mean? Critique not that you be not critiqued. Criticize not that you be not criticized. I mean, come on. The very nature of an intellectual community is that it thrives on criticism. We have whole branches of knowledge called criticism. We have higher criticism. We have textual criticism. We have literary criticism. We have historical criticism. Come on. We pride ourselves in the mental acuity that enables us to challenge theories, critique ideas, scrutinize evidence, and criticize the conclusions. In fact, I know the the faculty on this campus. We like to pride ourselves that we are training our students to think critically. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to take anybody's word for it. Not, no matter who the authority is, hook, line and sinker. You check it out first. Right. It is, that's good. That's not bad. That's why universities exist. Doctoral committees. ooh that little team of critics can hardly wait for the next victim to come walking in. The doctoral students research critiqued, criticized. Hey, I got good news for you. As far as Jesus and us. Concern. The good, and in fact, jot this down, please. The good news for us is that Jesus is not challenging critical thinking. Write that down. But the bad news for us is that Jesus is condemning critical acting. Write that down, too, please. You see, the Greek word for hypocrite that Jesus has just used there in verse 5. In fact, this is on, in, there in your uh, study guide. And you need to fill it in. The Greek word for hypocrite, hypocrites, hypocrites. it refers to the actor. Write it in. The actor on a Greek stage, one who pretends to be what he is not. She wears a mask and fools her audience, which is precisely what a hypocrite does. Isn't that right? Come on. When I pretend, when I fool everybody by pretending to be what I am not, I am a hypocrites, a hypocrite. Apparently, it's a favorite word of Jesus. That word is used only, get this, it's used only 17 times in the New Testament. 13 of those 17, all by Matthew. And all those times, Matthew puts it on the lips of Jesus. You hypocrite. The job hazard for an academic community like ours. And by the way, the danger for all of us, academic or not, academic. The danger for all of us is that there is a very thin line between critical thinking and critical acting. You say, oh, it's... yeah, yeah, yeah. Jot down. When you develop the skill, write this down, when you develop the skill of critiquing, you then become more susceptible to the sin of criticizing. You say, oh, come on, Dwight, it's not a sin. Oh, I... Sir, to differ with you. It is a sin. You won't have to fill this in, but I put it in your study guide because I want you to see this. Look at this. We'll put it on the screen. The English word criticize. You see the first part of the word? It's critic. The English word critic is from the Greek word "kritês," which is the word for a judge. A judge is a kritês. But get this. According to James chapter 4, verse 12, and you have to fill this in. Uh, The apostle declares that there is only one lawgiver and judge. So who are you to judge your neighbor? So, ladies and gentlemen, when I critique, when I criticize, when I criticize you, I become your judge. And I take on the, the sole prerogative of almighty God. And in anybody's book, that's a sin. Is it not playing God? Playing God to judge you, please. Whoa. This is, this is serious. Verse 1 Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your sister's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck, that sawdust from your eye? And look, you got the board jammed in your own eye. Verse 5 Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this is the stunning law of human nature. That little that 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 little speck of sawdust in his or her life is nothing in comparison to the huge board you have jammed into yours. See? It's the law of human nature. Invariably it is true. When what you criticize in others is invariably true about you. And by the way, our whole nation saw this potent law of human nature. Our whole nation saw this come true just a few weeks ago. You remember the story. One of the bright and shining stars of evangelical America. A pastor of a 13,000 member church that he had raised up from scratch. President of the National Evangelical Association. Visitor, frequent to the White House, a vehement preacher against homosexuality and sexual immorality just a few weeks ago was outed by a homosexual prostitute that the pastor had frequented for the past two years. Beware, follower of Christ. Beware. What you criticize in others is invariably true about you. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The pastor was defrocked, banished from his pulpit. The measure he had used against other sinners was now used against him. And now, as a sinner exposed, he is seeking healing. And I need to say... I am praying to God because I've prayed for him by name. I am praying to God that he and his dear little family will find the healing they are seeking. Because you know why? There but for the grace of God go I. Judge not. Don't you judge that you be not judged. For what you criticize in others is invariably true about you. And by the way, not only does Jesus drive the, the, the point home very graphically, but so does Paul, the apostle. Uh, jot this down in your study guide. We'll put it on the screen. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. This is something, isn't it? Paul writing, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Write it in, the word same. Judge not, that you be not judged. Some years ago I came across these words of Oswald Chambers and they have just stuck in my heart. And I had to share them with you. You've got them there in your study guide. You have to fill it in. In his classic book, My Utmost for His Highest, Chambers writing now, every wrong thing that I see in you, God locates in me. Every time I judge, I condemn myself. Write it in. I condemn myself. Remember the kids? Remember the little kids when we were kids? Did your generation do this too? When you, when you pointed at somebody, said it's you, it's you, and they, they all laughed at, aha, ha, ha, two fingers pointing my way, three fingers pointing back. You remember that? It's true. Every time I judge you, I condemn myself. Three fingers are pointing back. I have never met a man. No, 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 no. Uh, Let me me backtrack here. Every time I judge, I condemn myself. Stop having a measuring rod for other people. And then I, I put the emphasis here. There is always one fact more in every man's case about which we know nothing. You know, we are so hard on each other. Do you understand? You and I do not know everything about that human being. You know no, you have no knowledge about his wife. You know nothing about her husband. You know nothing about the children. You know nothing about the home she grew up in. You know nothing about the fact she is fighting a disease for her life. You know nothing about the pressures he bears. You know nothing. You, there's one fact, always one fact left. You know nothing of. And yet you and I shred. Shred. In our self-righteous, haughty spirit, we shred. You don't know. The only one who knows everything is God, and that's why he's the only one who can judge. Only one. James goes on, I've never met a man I could despair of after discerning what lies in me apart from the grace of God. If you have been shrewd in finding out the defects in others, remember that will be exactly the measure given to you. Life serves back in the coin you pay. What you give is what you get. Wow. Judge not. Judge not that you be not judged. Hey, come on. I'm just going to talk a little heart to heart now. Do you suppose that's why we have such a hard time spending time with critical people? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like being around them for long. I can handle it for a bit, but not for long. Have you noticed there's something grating about their spirit on yours? That critical spirit, that, those little innuendos, the judgmental twist they put on a leader's mistake, their sly but sugary sweet way of injecting their pharisaical judgment into the conversation. I tell you what, let me just, I'll, I'll leave this with you, too. These aren't in the study guide. But the moment, the next time you're with somebody and that somebody begins to, to criticize someone, and by the way, always that someone is not present. You'll notice. All right. The next time that begins to happen, there are two realities you can know about the person doing the criticizing. I want you to never forget these because it exposes the raw truth of our human nature. Remember these two. Reality number one. As Jesus and Paul and Chambers have just made clear to us this morning, the individual is struggling. The one doing the criticizing is struggling with the very same weakness he or she has identified in somebody else. (laughs) And by the way, uh, truth and fairness in advertising The reason I know that this is a law of human nature is because of my own critical spirit. I work very hard at trying not to ever talk in a critical way about another person not present. And I think if you talk to my staff and you talk to my family, you would find that I at least make an effort. I I am so ashamed of the times I have broken my own rule And I want you to stop me. If you ever hear me talking about somebody who is not there while we are talking about him or her. Now, in a positive way, talk to you. Blue in the face. I don't mind that. But if I start critiquing, judging, you stop me. All right? But. So so I try not to do it out loud. But. I can be very critical of another person right here in my mind. And I have learned. I I have just shredded people here. And I've learned over the years that the reason I'm able to spot another man's weakness so quickly is because I have that same weakness and I've developed a proclivity towards it. Boom! And I see it. It's like when you drive a Ford Taurus, they're everywhere. (laughs) So the next time, now I'm giving you a little bit of counsel. It's not in the study guide, but the next time you hear somebody criticizing another person who, of course, is not present, you can know immediately that he or she is struggling with that same weakness, that same sin, that same failure. I tell you what, if those of us who enjoy criticizing people in public would realize what we are actually saying about ourselves, we would keep our mouths shut and this would be a whole lot happier place to live in. Judge not, that you be not judged. But I promise, too, there are two realities that you can know about a criticizer. Reality number one, he reveals his own weakness to you. And reality number two, you cannot trust your own confidential information with him. Which is why Judas was not a part of Jesus' inner circle. He wanted to be. Because a judgmental spirit can turn on you in an instant, and Jesus could not afford to share his deepest confidences with Judas. I mean, because if he's talking about so-and-so in my presence, what do you suppose he's saying about me in someone else's presence? Uh, I'll tell you what, never. Sometimes you feel a little good that somebody's come to you to tell you something. Never flatter yourself that a critic takes you into her confidence about someone else because she is doing the very same thing to you behind your back. Trust me. Trust Jesus. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, critics have many informants, but few friends. You think about that for a moment. A century ago, these penetrating words were written. That's why I wanted you to have the study guide. Look at this. You have to fill it in. The atmosphere of selfishness and narrow criticism stifles the noble and generous emotions and causes men and women to become self-centered judges and petty spies. Picky, 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 picky. Why? Because I just thrive on this. By the way, the reason I'm so hard on you is because I'm trying to cover up me. If I weren't worried about me, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't give too... Plug nickels for your problem. But it's because I have the same problem. That I deflect the attention. Just deflect it. Next sentence. The sin that leads to the most... By the way, not the next to the most, not the third, not the fourth from the most. The sin that leads to the most unhappy results is a cold, critical, unforgiving spirit that characterizes Phariseeism. He, she, who is guilty of wrong is the first to suspect wrong. By condemning another, he is trying to conceal or excuse the evil of his own heart. According to the figure that our Savior uses, according to the board and the sawdust. He who indulges a censorious or critical spirit is guilty of... This blows you out of the water, but write it down. ...is guilty of greater, greater... Sin, then, is the one he accuses. For he, is not only, he not only commits the same sin, but adds to it conceit and censoriousness, which is an old word for the spirit of criticism. He sits in the seat of a judge. And that's a double sin. Because there's only one judge. And when you play God, you're lost. Because the only one that can save you is you. It's not God mad at you. You play God, save yourself. And you can't. This is why you're lost. It's a sin. It is a sin. Oh, mercy. Is there any mercy for the judgmental likes of you and me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah there is. You see, every carpenter in his nice carpenter apron carries one of these. This is a rule. This is a ruler. A carpenter knows that you have to have a standard by which you live as a carpenter. You can't keep changing your standard because then you, you would produce defective defective construction. You have to have a rule. You have to have a ruler. And you must use this ruler with every bit of construction you undertake. If you ignore it in one, that's going to be messed up. That one will be messed up. The divine carpenter is making a point to you and me. You have to have a rule. We call it the golden Rule. That's the only way you can survive. Look at this. Drop down to verse 12. Isn't this some? The carpenter didn't leave us hanging. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 12, Therefore, Jesus says, Whatever you want men and women to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. All of God's teaching. Jesus says, You want to reduce the entire Bible into one? Here it is. One golden rule. One single standard for God and everyone else in the universe. The same standard. Jot it down, will you, in your study guide? Do to others... What you would have them do to you. In other words, once you get that down, in other words, treat others the way you want to be treated. And if we took a poll right now, it would be hands down unanimous. How do we want to be treated? Two words. I want to be treated with mercy. When you stand in front of that traffic judge with a trembling ticket, speeding ticket in your hand, you have two words on your mind Your Honor, with mercy. When you stand in front of your professor and your paper is four days late, you have two words on your mind. Please, with mercy. When you stand and your roommate walks into the room and you have just dropped her laptop and broken it, with mercy. (laughs) Have you done that? With mercy. Treat me with mercy. When you stand before your spouse and confess a little unfaithfulness or a big unfaithfulness, you have two words on your mind. Treat me with mercy. With mercy. There isn't a human being that doesn't want to be treated with mercy. It's the one standard that works. It's it's universal. Every culture, every nation, every era of time, I want mercy. And so do you. Which, by the way, let me ask you this. Would you want anybody to be talking about you criticizing you, condemning you, and you're not there to defend yourself, would you ever want that to be the case? Wouldn't you rather say, okay, you want to talk, let's talk. We're big boys, we can talk, but let me be there when we talk. Let me answer. Let me tell you what you don't know. Help me out as a loving brother. If I'm doing something wrong, help me out. I need your help. You can't shred me behind my back and expect me to ever grow from it now, can you? You're ripping my life apart and you're using it as a little stepping stone to be higher than everybody. Get off. Come on. Wouldn't you want to be present? Then, ladies and gentlemen, never. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be very pointed with you. For life on this campus or wherever it is, wherever else it is that you live, never, ever criticize someone in his or her absence. If they are not there. If she's not there, if he's not there, shut up. Matthew 18 says, "You go straight to him and talk." You got to talk. You go to him. Never, ever criticize someone who is not present. And you now have permission. If somebody does that in your presence, you you now have biblical permission to say, "Hey, time out. I don't know what it is you're going to get. You're just getting ready to share, but you know what? It doesn't feel good." I think you, if you really got something to say, you to go talk to her. Go talk to him. Don't... Please. I just assume not know. You know what? Five conversations like that and the critic gets it. The critic gets it and says, I guess, I guess that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I'm giving you... Per- Jesus is giving us permission to never, never criticize someone. Our enemy, even. Which, by the way, is why Jesus... Who had every right in the book to cast invectives on this sorry wretch of a betrayer named Judas? When Judas comes to Jesus that Thursday, that early Friday morning, when Judas shows up, Jesus looks into the face of the man who has betrayed him behind his back, and Jesus says, Friend. He calls his enemy friend. You know why? Because Jesus lives, the the divine carpenter lives by his own rule, he lives by his own ruler. If the tables were turned, I'd want you to do the same thing to me. Keep calling me your friend. So when you have been betrayed behind your back by somebody's tongue, still call her, still call him friend. Jesus, with his torturous executioners, look how he treats them. I mean, this is, the, this is the judge of all the universe. And they've taken the divine carpenter. They have his arms stretched out upon the very wood he himself craft, crafted. And as they're nailing his palms to the, to the core, the knotty core of that cross, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He says, hey, Father, 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 please, I beg of you, forgive them. If they, don't, they don't know what they're doing. And when he prayed, mercy came a running at that instant for his executioners. Jesus lived. He practiced what he preached. And by the way, you just saw in Jesus... What is probably the shortest and simplest antidote to the spirit of criticism anywhere on earth today. When you are tempted to criticize somebody and they're not present, the moment that temptation comes into your mind, instead of criticizing, you immediately pray for that person. Would you write it down, please? Intercede instead of criticize. Pray instead of judge. What would happen if we prayed for everybody we used to criticize? What would happen on this campus if we pray for each other instead, pray instead of judge intercede instead of criticize. And but by the way, in pleading for mercy for her, whoever she is, you are praying for mercy for yourself. When you pray for mercy for that man, you are pleading for mercy for yourself. And the good news is when you do that, mercy comes a running to both of you at the same time. You win. You win with mercy you'll always win with mercy treat others the way you want them to treat you and then hallelujah like the amish this too will become a community a world star for mercy will come seeking i want to end with the story of the amish but before i do there's one more quotation that you need to that ends your study guide and you need to fill it in same book 100 years ago search heaven and earth this is dynamite search heaven and earth And there is no truth revealed more powerful than that which is made manifest in works of mercy. Prayers of mercy, works of mercy. There's no greater truth than this. In heaven and earth, no more powerful truth than mercy. This is the truth as it is in Jesus. Now listen to this. When those who profess the name of Christ, like you and me, shall practice the principles of the golden rule, hold on to your pew, the same power will attend the gospel today as in apostolic times. End quote. Hallelujah. Do you understand what that means? Now, a lot of you a lot of you, getting a little worried about the revival of the Holy Spirit. And, oh boy, we need revival. We need revival. You want to have a revival like the early church had it? You practice the golden rule. When you practice the golden rule, that brings the revival. Because it's the Spirit of Jesus. What's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit if it's not the Spirit of Jesus? It's Jesus made flesh through you and me. And the power of the book of Acts will be the power of the village of Baryon Springs. Thank you, Jesus. I want to end with a story. Appeared in the latest Willow magazine. It's about that tragic morning last fall. The whole whole nation knew this one. A little Amish school in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. Remember that? Gunman entered, barricaded that little schoolhouse. And when the carnage was over, seven of the students were wounded, three little girls were dead, and the gunman had died, died at his own hand. The nation, in shock, watched the unfolding, for the drama was not true. The religious news service came to the celebrated Mennonite philosopher and author. One of his books, The Upside-Down Kingdom, I think is one of the greatest books I've read. The, uh, The Mennonite author and philosopher is Donald Craybell, and he wrote an essay for the religious news service. As it turns out, it's on the back of this picture. So I'll hold the picture. You look at the three Amish women looking at the place of that carnage. And then let me read this to you. You see the title, don't you? All About Forgiveness. The blood was hardly dry on the bareboard floor of the West Nickel Mine School when Amish parents sent words of forgiveness to the family of the man who had killed their children. Forgiveness? So quickly and for such a heinous crime? Why and how could the Amish do such a thing so quickly? Make no mistake, the pain of death is sharp, searing the hearts of Amish mothers and fathers like it would any other parents. But why forgiveness? Surely some anger, at least some grudge is justifiable in the face of such a slaughter. A frequent phrase in Amish life is forgive and forget. That's the recipe for responding to Amish members who transgress Amish rules if they confess their failures. Amish forgiveness also reaches to outsiders, even to killers of their children. For you see, their model is the suffering Jesus who carried his cross without complaint and who hanging on the cross extended forgiveness to his tormentors. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Beyond his example, the Amish try to practice Jesus' admonitions to turn the other cheek, to love one's enemies, to forgive seventy times seven, and to leave vengeance to the Lord. Retaliation and revenge are not part of their vocabulary. As pragmatic as they are about other things, the Amish do not ask if forgiveness works. They simply seek to practice it as the Jesus' way of responding to adversaries, even enemies. Final line, such courage to forgive has jolted the watching world as much as the killing itself. The transforming power of forgiveness may be one redeeming thing that flows from the blood that was shed in nickel mines. If they can love like Jesus, with mercy and forgiveness, I ask you in the name of Christ... Can we not do the same?